Well, good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. I want to say hello to our faith family in our live venue. If you guys have your Bibles, would you turn to Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6 is where we will pick up this morning in our series in Acts. Hey, I want to do something real quick. I don't do this um, often enough, but just was really struck this weekend. And I am so grateful for the uh, praise team and the individuals that lead us week in and week out in incredible worship. Would you just express your appreciation for them? And those that lead us in here and in our venue, we're so thankful for them. In fact, the truth is that until the day comes that Hank Williams Jr. gets saved and becomes a worship pastor... There is nobody I'd rather worship under and alongside than the team we have here. But if Hank Jr. gets saved, I'm not promising job security, all right? <laughs> just, just saying. But it really is a joy to just be under their leadership and the way they lead us every single week. Um, this morning, we're going to continue in our series on the book of Acts. Uh, we're going through um, just chapter by chapter, overview style, looking at what it means to be a church on Mission. And by the way, in saying that, would you pray? We have a mission team that left yesterday to Rwanda, and so they're going to be there over the next week and a half or so. And so I would encourage you, Faith Family, to please pray for them uh, as we talk about being on mission. If you're able to stand, let's do it. For the reading of God's Word, Acts chapter 6, let's look here at verse 8. Luke writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Stephen. A man full of grace and power was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So they secretly instigated men who said, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people and the elders and scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They even set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. We've even heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now skip over to chapter 7, verse 54, after Stephen preaches this long sermon, which we'll talk about. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. It's God's word. Would you pray with me? Father, come talk to us. Please speak to us now through your word. Challenge us through this man, Stephen. 
through his life, through the way he lived, challenge us about what it looks like to have a life that counts in the end. Motivate us, inspire us, ultimately conform us into the image of Jesus in whose name we pray. And God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. From the moment she purchased it online, Lorraine couldn't wait for it to arrive. In fact, every day was filled with that kind of childlike anticipation when you're waiting for the mail to come. You've had that, right? Where you you look out the window and you see, is today the day? Is today the day? Is today the day? And finally the day come and that package was delivered and Lorraine ran out and she grabbed it. She brought it inside into the kitchen and she laid it on the counter. She grabbed a pair of scissors and she so cautiously opened the box, poured out all the styrofoam peanuts, pulled back all the plastic, lifted it up and smiled. It was everything she'd hoped it would be. But was it big enough? She had to know. And so she took the top off and set it down. She took it over to the sink and she started pouring water in it, measuring cup after cup after cup to make sure it was the right size. And when she realized that it was big enough, she took it back to the counter. She set it down. She took a couple of steps back and she smiled again. Her two-year quest was over. And so she grabbed a towel and she dried it off and she wrapped it in bubble wrap and she stored it away for what she hoped would be a long, long time. What was this object of Lorraine's anticipation? It was a Tasmanian devil cookie jar. Now, you you laugh, but don't misunderstand. This wasn't a a cute little kitchen collectible that Lorraine had purchased off eBay. It wasn't a, a funny little way to store cookies for her grandchildren. For Lorraine, it was so much more than that. In fact, it would actually be her final resting place. Lorraine had left orders for her family for her to be cremated her remains to be placed inside a Tasmanian devil cookie jar, placed on top of her entertainment center, beside a deck of playing cards, her bowling awards, and a Bugs Bunny cookie jar, which contained her mother. (laughs) And when asked, why? (laughs) Really, why? Why all this planning? Why all this detail Lorraine said this, quote, I have a little Tasmanian devil in me. He's unstoppable, determined, and fierce. He's the kind of person that doesn't let anybody get in his way. And when my life is over, that's how I want to be remembered. She's on to something. And I don't mean the cremation, and I definitely don't mean the Tasmanian devil cookie jar. What I mean is this. At some point, you have to start asking yourself, what am I going to be remembered for? 
Now, don't you go dying on me, because I'm not talking about dying. I'm talking about the way you live your life right now. When you finish high school, when you move out of the neighborhood, when you retire from the company, when the kids get old enough to leave the house, yes, when that day comes and your race is over, what will your legacy be? What will your legacy be? You see, what Luke is doing here in Acts 6 and chapter 7 is he's painting a portrait for us of a man's life named Stephen, an ordinary Christian. He is no apostle. He has no PhD. He's no famous leader. He's an ordinary Christian who leaves a legacy. You you say, where are you getting this idea of legacy? Look at verse 58 of chapter 7. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Who is that? Paul. The Apostle Paul, the the writer of much of the New Testament, uh, one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. And yet Luke intentionally writes about Stephen. Why? Come here, come here, come here. Because he's the link to Saul. Stephen is the link, the bridge from Christianity in Jerusalem to Christianity spreading everywhere through Paul's ministry. Here's the point, all eyes right here. You're the link to someone You're the bridge. Your life is the bridge that leads to someone, grandchildren, whose names you may never know, faces of people at your company that you may never meet. What will your life be remembered for? That's what Luke shows us here in Stephen. The kind of life God uses to leave a legacy for the gospel. Four things that we're going to see. And they're going to motivate us, inspire us, I pray, to run our race even more. Number one is this. Luke is like, how obvious can I make this? That Stephen is a man full of the Holy Spirit. Look at chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the, say it, spirit and of wisdom. Look at verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Look at verse 55 of chapter 7. But he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Luke is like, how many times I got to say this? Stephen's life was marked with the Spirit of God. What does that mean? We, we read that and we think like... Full of the Spirit. What? Does that mean he was really emotional? 
Because sometimes that's the image I get that people that are full of the Spirit are just very emotional and very into it. Is that? Is it mystical? Is it, you know, kind of like, I'm spiritual? It's very mystic and like, who really knows what it is? If you're new to Christianity, you may even be like, it kind of sounds strange. Full of the Spirit, and yet the New Testament talks about this frequently. Let me give you a couple of verses to jot down. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Do you see the comparison, the contrast? Say yes. There's spirit and flesh. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. I'll give you one more. This may be the most helpful. Ephesians 5, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. So what does this mean? If, if, if a, a life full of the Spirit is the kind of life God uses to leave a gospel legacy, then what in the world does it mean? Well, when we say somebody's full of anger or full of love or full of baloney or whatever, they're full of something, right? What do we mean? We mean that they're dominated or controlled by that very thing. If they're full of anger, what are we saying? They're dominated by that anger. Or, or take, for instance, the Apostle Paul's analogy, do not be drunk with wine. Now, what would I be if I drank this entire bottle of wine? Besides Lutheran. <laughs> I'm just I'm kidding. That was that was that was that was totally uncalled for. Lord, I apologize. If I drank, I can't believe I just said that. If I drank this entire bottle of wine, I'd be drunk. And, and, and what would be going on within me if I were drunk? It would control the decisions I make. It would control the things I do. Without me even consciously knowing it. Like just its presence in me. And being full of it would control me. Do not be drunk with wine, but be drunk, filled, influenced, controlled by the Spirit. Here's your pastor's definition of what it means to be full of the Spirit. That you are so consumed with God. Don't worry, the cap's still on it. You're so consumed with God that your life becomes controlled by God. You're so consumed with God. You're, and, I, and I'll use the metaphor that Paul's using. You're so drunk on God. You drink God. You eat God's Word. You, you're concentrating on God that before you know it, and even unconsciously, your life becomes controlled by God. That's 
Stephen. And that's the kind of life God uses to leave a gospel legacy. Now, oftentimes I think we think about this. We're like, I'm just an ordinary Christian. God's not going to use me the way he used Stephen. The problem with that is what the Bible says, what Jesus says about what is the most effective way of being a witness. Listen to John 16, verse 7. This is astounding. Here's what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now think about the disciples when they heard that. It's it's to our advantage if you leave? Why? For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the spirit, will not come to you. Now get get yourself in the mind of the disciples. Jesus, I kind of think it would be a whole lot better if you'd stay here. We'd be a lot better witnesses if you're with us. Have you ever thought like that? I mean, if, I, if Jesus physically could go with me to school, if he could physically go with me to work, if he could go with me to the party, it'd be so much easier to be a witness and a better witness. Man, I mean, Jesus, if we ran out of trail mix, could just like, boom, fill up the bowl. You know, I mean, we could gather around instead of playing Pictionary. He could just answer all their theological questions. He could do like a miracle, like resurrect their pets, you know, like their dog. Because we all know Jesus wouldn't resurrect a cat, right? I mean, what would be the point? I mean, the Bible says that every time a cat dies, an angel gets their wing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm kidding. It's a joke. I, I can feel my inbox already filling up. It's a joke, right? But the idea is if Jesus could just be with us physically, we'd be a better witness. Here's what Jesus is saying. Ordinary Christians full of the Spirit is better than me physically being there. Do you know why Jesus is at your office? Because it's your office. Do you know why Jesus is at your school? Because it's your school. An ordinary Christian full of the Spirit, consumed with God, whereby they are controlled by God, leaves a gospel legacy. What will you be remembered for? Here's the second thing about Stephen's life. is not only that he's full of the Spirit, but notice that Luke shows us how he is devoted to the Scriptures. I want to show you something here. We'll get verse 10. And they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Look down at verse 13. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Man, when Stephen spoke, he spoke with, with wisdom. He spoke with a knowledge that just absolutely astounded them. In other words, Stephen had more than just a few Awana verses. And that, that's not a negative. Awana verses are great. I'm just saying he had more than that. 
Stephen had more than just some knowledge of some Sunday school stories that he learned when he was a kid. And that's, that's great, but he had more than that. He was absolutely devoted to the gospel, to God's word. You say, how do you know? Will you please hang with me for about two minutes? Because I'm going to go lightning speed through Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7, all to make a point. But you've got to stay with me. Can you do that? Say yes. We ready? Okay. So they're making these false accusations about Stephen that he's saying all these bad things about the Old Testament. The law and Moses and the temple and all that. So Stephen, a layperson, not an apostle, preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts recorded. And here's the sermon. Hey, do you remember Abraham? Well, of course we remember Abraham. He's like the father of our nation. Hello? Do you remember when God called him out to a land he didn't know? Do you remember when God made a covenant with him and promised him an offspring? A future seed in whom the nations would be blessed. And he gave the sign of circumcision to be a reminder that that offspring would one day arrive. Of course we remember that. We've just like been waiting our whole history for that. Point two. You remember Joseph. Of course we remember Joseph. He's like one of the greatest patriarchs of our nation. Do you remember how he was rejected by his own family, but yet given a place of authority in Egypt, and yet when he comes face to face with the very people who rejected him, he gives them salvation. He provides for their very need. Absolutely we remember that. Point three. Do you remember Moses? A place who is in royal authority, and yet he left that royalty and identified with a slave people to lead them out of slavery, and then with Joshua to take them into the promised land. Of course we know that. That's like the DNA, the identity of us as a nation. Hey, Stephen, we're loving this sermon. Man, I thought you were bad-mouthing the Old Testament. Sounds like you know your Old Testament. Point four. Do you remember David? Do you remember when David wanted to build a temple for God and God says, now nah, I'll build a temple for you through your son Solomon. And what would be true of this temple? It would be where God and man would meet. It's where the presence of God would dwell. Man, Stephen, this is an awesome, awesome sermon. And then look at his conclusion, verse 51. You stiff-necked people. How's that for politically correct preaching? uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those, here it is, that announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Here's what Stephen's saying. Come on, come on, come on. Stephen's saying, I'm not bad-mouthing the Old Testament. I'm just telling you it's already been fulfilled. That offspring of Abraham, that's Jesus. That Jewish man rejected by his very own but then provided salvation, that's Jesus. 
Moses, that one who identified with a slave people but led them out into salvation, entered into a relationship with God and with Joshua would take them to the promised land. Guess what? That's Jesus. David, the great king, guess who that's pointing to? Jesus. The temple that you all wanted so badly where God comes together with man, that's Jesus. You say you want the truth, you can't handle the truth. In fact, you killed the truth. Don't you see that all of this was pointing to one man, the righteous one. His name is Jesus. Now that's not even the point I'm trying to make. Here's my point. Come here. Where did Stephen learn all of that? Vacation Torah school? <laughs> the Jerusalem Council for Theological Advancement. Where did he learn it? See, here's the thing. Come here. We don't live in this context that much. And here's what I mean. We don't understand how new... This is in Acts 7. Why do you think the religious leaders are so upset? Because they don't see it this way. Nobody was seeing it this way aside from those who were following Jesus. Where did Stephen learn it? Let me connect the dots. Jesus, after his resurrection, calls the disciples together, Luke 24, and beginning with the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, shows how all these things had been fulfilled in him. And how do those disciples, now known as apostles, how do they preach in the book of Acts, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 7? That Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament where did Stephen get this? He devoted his life to learning it. He didn't just wake up one morning and all of this theological information was just downloaded and oh, now I get it. No. What? How, come on. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. Why was Stephen willing to serve earlier in Acts 6? Because he wants to make sure that the apostles do not neglect the priority of preaching the gospel. Why? So he can learn the gospel. He's, he is devoted. I want to learn. I want to know how this is all pointing to Jesus. Why? So that when my day comes to stand before the council, I can give word to what I believe. Stephen devoted himself to the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is the weapon of God for the mission of God. Okay, let's get real practical. Let's get real practical. The truth is, and I know you really want this image, the truth is, is a lot of Christians are running naked across the battlefield of a spiritual war. You got no armor. 
you got no weapons, and you wonder why life looks so defeated. God has given you His Word. And your day, Christian's coming when you're going to stand before the council. It may be your co-workers. It may be your friends at school. And if you don't devote yourself to the Word of God, you will not be ready to leave a legacy for the gospel when that day comes. Church, don't be flippant with the Word of God. Eat it, breathe it, drink it, study it, want it. Because the day is coming, if not now, when you're going to need it. And a podcast on iTunes will do you no good in that day. You fight your war on the mission with the Word of God. Jesus fought Satan with Scripture. Paul told the church in Ephesus, take up the sword, offensive weapon of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The writer of Hebrews says, pay attention to what you've heard unless you drift away. The kind of life that leads the legacy is the kind of life that's devoted to the Word of God because they've got something to say when they stand before men. And here's the second implication quickly is this, is that it is the Word of God that fuels our joy, our passion for Jesus. I'll I'll say this quickly, but this is worth the price of admission. Please, please hear this. What was the difference between Stephen and religious people? He's the only one in the group that understood that all this was about a person. At the end of the day, I don't give a hoot about how many Bible stories you know if it doesn't fuel your joy and passion for the one they're all about. And maybe the issue for some of us is that the Bible has become a textbook rather than a beautiful story of redemption that's all about Jesus, but has our name included. And when this book becomes something that fuels your passion about a person, you, look at me, you will leave a legacy. How will you be remembered? Number three, not only a man full of the Spirit, Not only a man devoted to the Scriptures, but notice also a man who was unmoved in the face of suffering. I wonder how these people are going to respond to that whole you stiff-necked, stubborn person who did what your fathers have done, which is rejected the very point. How would they respond? Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Uh, there's an image. I wonder what that, what would that look like? Like a wolf, you know, like showing teeth and snot and, you know, spit and just mad. You see, here's the deal. I'm going to give you just a little bit of Westam, which is Wes's wisdom. I know, it's like, 
It's like, get the pen and pad out, right? Here's some wisdom. If you don't like the cold, don't live in Minnesota. Isn't it true? It's profound, isn't it? Right? Um, if you don't like picking up poop, don't get a dog. Yeah? Uh, if you don't like losing, don't be a gopher fan. <laughs> I'm just, that's I'm the, so, Lord, I apologize. And they were enraged and gnashed their teeth. <laughs> if you don't like being misunderstood and rejected, don't follow Jesus. Because if you're in this to get the world's approval, you ain't going to get it following Christ. Your legacy may come through your greatest pain. It may not be through all the blessings of your life. It may come through the darkest moments of your life. Where in that, people see the joy, the hope that you have in the gospel. People talk about we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let me ask you something. Do you know what they did to the hands and feet of Jesus? They drove nails through them. God wants to use ordinary Christians for the sake of a gospel legacy, but it will come through pain. The truth is, please hear me, most of us are not going to be like Stephen in that we lose our life, but every one of us must be willing to give all of our life to follow him. God uses ordinary Christians who are full of the Spirit. They're consumed with God. They're devoted to the Scriptures. And they're unmoved in the midst of suffering. And then I want to close by showing you why I think Stephen was unmoved in this suffering. And it's because his life was focused intensely on a Savior. Notice what he sees. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. How awesome. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What's going on here? Here's what's going on here. The earthly court is rejecting Stephen, but the heavenly court is about to receive Stephen. The earthly court is condemning Stephen, but Jesus commends Stephen to the Father. In other words, Stephen is living in this moment, and that's why I think he can endure the persecution. He's living in this moment in the reality of the gospel, namely 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if Anyone does sin, oh hallelujah, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Stephen is able to endure all this. He's able to leave a legacy. Why? Because he knows Jesus is for him. Why? Because Jesus died for him.
he, he sees, like he literally sees the reality of the gospel, that my identity is standing at the right hand of God. Stephen lived his life like this. Not like this. On all the circumstances that he's having to deal with, like this. And he sees his Savior. And hope is restored. I couldn't help with this idea of of looking up and, and seeing hope in the midst of suffering Think about that image in Tolkien's book, Lord of the Rings. Do you remember when Sam and Frodo, they are, some of you can relate to this, they are tired, the journey has been hard, it's been wearisome, and there's been times along the way they've just wanted to give up. And then Sam looks up, like Stephen, and here's what he sees. Tolkien writes this, quote, There... Peeping among the clouds, above a dark tower high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star. And the beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up, out of the forsaken land, hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him That in the end, oh glory, in the end, the shadow that is the darkness, that is the difficulty, was only a small and passing thing. There was light and beauty forever beyond the reach. In the midst of all the darkness, in the midst of all the difficulty, Stephen looks up and finds hope. And it allows him to live a life that counts in the end. Because you see, Stephen's going to go from looking up to heaven to the next thing he knows, he's outside the city looking up from the bottom of a hole. And he sees them gathered around, taking off their outer garments and throwing them into a pile. They're stretching their arms and loosening up their throwing arm and grabbing stones and rocks. He knows what's coming. They're all gathered around him. And like an ocean wave, It's about to crash on you and there's nothing you can do to stop it. The rocks begin to fly. Flesh is being ripped off his body. Boom. 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 Bones are being crushed inside his body. And he only has enough time and likely only enough energy to pray one final prayer. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then he went to sleep. Does that sound familiar? Does it ring a bell? Does it sound a little something like, into your hands I commit my spirit? Does it sound a little bit like, Father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing? Why? What is Luke's point? His point is this. Stephen is a man full of the Spirit, like Jesus. He is a man full of grace, like Jesus. He speaks with authority, like Jesus. He is falsely accused, like Jesus. He is rejected, like Jesus. He is willing to die, like Jesus. And in his death, he prays for the very forgiveness of his enemies, like Jesus. What's the point? Faith family, the point is this. When your life is controlled by the Spirit of Jesus, when you are devoted to the Word of God that is about Jesus, and when you are focused, even in the midst of suffering, on Jesus, your life starts looking like Jesus. And even though you are far from perfect, And even though you are just an ordinary Christian, God uses your life to leave a legacy that cannot be contained in a cookie jar. A legacy that will have more to show for it than a deck of cards and some bowling trophies. A life that will be remembered. Not for how great you are, but for how great our God is. That's a life that counts in the end. And so, faith family, please believe with me today. Please believe what Acts proves. God wants to use you. You heard me correctly. You. An ordinary Christian for an extraordinary legacy. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray it to be true. God, thank you for the life of Stephen. Thank you for giving us this example of what a life looks like that is full of the Spirit, devoted to the Scriptures, willing to embrace the suffering that will come as a follower of Christ, but doing it all with an intense focus on our Savior, of living in the reality of the Gospel. So God, I want to pray 
right now for each person uh, in this room and in venue. God, I pray that uh, we would be a link. A link to something great. A great story that's been going on and continues to go on that's so much bigger than our life. The story of your redemption. But God, help us today think about what bridge, what link will we be to maybe names we'll never know. Stephen died never knowing how his life would be used to impact Saul. So God, we don't have to know. We just need to live. In Jesus' name, amen.